It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's where we delve into all of the episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here. Coming back for more from the Mission Log, the Oroville Podcast. It's Mike Richards. Howdy. Hey, Matt. Thanks for being back, man. Just uh, really enjoying uh, doing a couple of shows. I mean, several Twilight Zones now, tw- several other shows. So it's uh, something I always look forward to. Yeah, yeah, it is, is interesting because uh, when I started podcasting, you know, I just just guessed from everywhere and talk, talking. I've kind of whittled it down to like mostly people I enjoy talking to. So <laughs> I mean, oh, I'm, not I take saying, that. I'm not saying old guests I didn't enjoy talking to, but, you know, you click with some people better than others. Right. So you're just saying if you haven't called in a while, it might mean something. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily that, but yeah. And, and also, I guess I've just. Uh, for the twilight zone i have like been honing in more starting out the podcast was kind of like okay i want to get like kind of mystical metaphysical and have my like trekkie thing in but as we get deeper and deeper into the show it just makes more sense to kind of um you know like compare it with a uh, sort of roddenberry brush you know because yeah thoroughly and roddenberry had kind of similar worldviews so take it it just seems like there's a lot you get a lot more out of it kind of taking that trekkie approach than just like whoa look at all this crazy stuff happening you know let's right. make sense of it what was what it telling me you know that yeah. sort of thing mm-hmm. i mean and, hey Leonard nimoy right you see him here he's in this episode aquatic man i never knew i never knew he was uh was that that young and um i guess i guess Leonard nimoy's always been a handsome man but he was looking particularly uh i think handsome in his army I found uh, it a soldier lot more get up. Yeah. I, I found young Dean Stockwell a lot more disorienting, to be honest. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're used to seeing Nemo five years later in Star Trek, but Stockwell, you know, that's Quantum Leap and Battlestar where I have my oh, Stockwell know. images. You know? Yeah. So. I know. He was sort of first on my radar for uh, Quantum Leap. So, and this is, this was, uh, uh, I think this was like Christmas week of, uh, of the early 60s i'll let you cover that later on um but yeah 30 30 years you know prior to kind of the the peak of quantum leap right right which i need to get back to that one i mean the original there's a remake which i don't really know the quality of it might be great might not i don't know um but yeah i I guess i've I've more entrained myself with stockwell by watching um uh, Battlestar because i i have had like a couple rewatches of that show so um, I guess I will go ahead and do a bit of that trivia. Uh, the original air date, you are correct. It was December 29th, 1961. The script is a Serling and certainly inspired by his time in the wartime Philippines. But the idea was credited to the have gun will travel mastermind, Sam Rolfe. Liz Kolick is back to direct as he does quite a few episodes of the Twilight Zone like this one that's basically what he's known for and good for him dean stockwell of course was lieutenant scatel in Murray, and trying to summarize his career hurts a brain he started out as a child star showing up in films like anchors away which i was studying just yesterday because you know i was looking into gene kelly and then looking into fred astaire and ran into anchors away later on he scored genre credits as Al on Quantum Leap and Brother Cavill on Battlestar Galactica. Yes, he did. Yep. Albert Salmi was Sergeant Casarano. Did I say that right? I might have said it I wrong. I think you did. Casarano. Okay. He did tons of character acting work, like in the Brothers Karamazov. I've never said that word before. Karamazov. I'm going to annoy one of my friends. I think it's Karamazov is how I've heard. Now, that's probably just an an Americanization of 
you know, a Russian name that that bears no resemblance to what it's actually supposed to sound like. But I've always heard the brothers Karamazov as okay. as a, I'll go with, with the inflection that way. Um, it's a smaller profile for him, but he did show up in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, and that's always worth mentioning. I think. Um, I can't tell you who he. I think he's just I, like a small one role. of the mutants, maybe. Maybe I guess age. he might have been a gorilla. Right. Yeah. Hey, look, there's Leonard Nimoy. Sergeant yeah, Nagasaki was played by Dale Ishimoto. He'd later appear in films such as MASH in Midway. That's the film version of MASH. So he's a Korean doctor in that, apparently. But yeah, I did I did miss that April. That's too bad. Okay. Um, yeah, so th that's interesting that you said that because I noticed the teleplay by Rod Serling based off an idea by Sam Rolfe, which I thought was an interesting uh, writing credit, if you will. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, there there are a few, like, I mean, there's several episodes where it's, like, adapted by Serling. But, yeah, this one's interesting by just saying it's, like, from an idea. Like, I guess he mentioned the dinner. He's like, this guy's the creator of a pretty good show, so I'll throw him a bone, maybe. <laughs> It's like in memorial of when you put that in a movie, except this guy's still alive and you're just doing him a solid, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Sometimes it's better to um, show your respect to people before they are gone, I guess. Always nice to do it. <laughs> pre not posthumously. I guess that would be. It's a little too late, right? So. Pre-humously is probably before you're born. So probably just humously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would yeah. Be the best time to the best time to appreciate somebody. Or if you want to be more cynical, it could have just had to do with the lawyers. So, <laughs> True. Um, you say you have you have the opening and closing in front of you now. Uh, I do. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna combine them today because you you don't just like throw out a Shakespeare quote, especially when it's the title of the episode. Right. <laughs> it's August nineteen forty. The last grimy pages of a dirty torn book of war the place is the philippine islands the men are what's left of a platoon of american infantry whose dulled and tired eyes set deep in dull and tired faces can now look toward a miracle that moment when the nightmare appears to be coming to an end but they've got one more battle to fight and in a moment we'll observe that battle august 1945 Philippine Islands, but in reality, it's high noon in the twilight zone. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Shakespeare, the merchant of Venice, but applicable to any moment in time, to any group of soldiery, to any nation on the face of the earth or as in this case, to the Twilight Zone. All right. Thank you. So I consider myself a little bit of a history buff. I've read a lot of books on World War II. Um, my first notes are like, oh, this can't be the Philippines because it's 1945. Not we, We've already that. gotten out of the Philippines, right? But we haven't. There's still leftover Japanese troops there. There's still <laughs> leftover American troops there, and they're still shooting at each other, which yeah. I, I guess we're going to have that in even more shocking form in season five when George K shows up. But <laughs> uh, yeah, but for me, I was like, oh, yeah, in a war, just because the front has moved up doesn't mean horrible things aren't happening behind it, the front, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, quickly moving fronts i mean that's the reason the the uh, on the european side the eastern front was like so horrible i mean you start when you read about that stuff it's like the western front d-day all that's almost like disneyland compared to what was going on on the eastern front well i mean you know what are the numbers R russia lost 10 million fighting fighting germany on the eastern front in world war ii yeah that's and... why they're so grumpy at the end of the war because they're like hey we just you know well because stalin's our leader we just like put through half of our not half but a very large percentage of our population into like a grist mill you know for this war 
Yeah. Um, there's an Oliver Stone um, documentary on a history documentary, and he he sort of compared the numbers of you know what the Eastern Front looked like compared to the Western Front, and it was just staggering the the difference. Exactly. So, um, I guess that's where the the one quote I did write from here that's not Shakespeare is kind of the thesis of the. The, the antithesis of the episode is not the thesis. It would be the the opposite of that. But you know, you're killed. You kill until you're ordered to stop killing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, it's never a good proverb. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not. And it's so. I mean, I love the that character of um of the sergeant. Now, I'll I'll go ahead and butcher his name now. Um, Casarano. Uh, man, that dude is legit. He really is. He's just he's been there. He's done that. He's He's seen it all. He knows what this means. It means nothing. It means we're going to go in there. We're going to lose some of our people to slaughter, you know, tired, defeated, wounded, you know, and it's just, it's just not worth it. And the kid, and it's a weird system where, you know, uh, a newly minted second lieutenant outranks people that have been around for, you know, 20, 30 years um, in the military, but it's, it's more of a Hollywood trope where, you know, they come like right out of officer training school and now they're in charge of a, you know, a, a wartime battalion. But but this is, you know, I'm sure and in, in, I'm sure that kind of thing happens from time to time, especially in this um, case, because they are somewhat behind the front. So you would send uh-huh. the greener lieutenant here as opposed yeah. to Okinawa or something. Right. Yeah, that, that's a good point. But that's a really good point. Um, so, you know, in this situation, it's it's known to happen. Um, or more likely to happen. And then you've got, um, you know, the troops that have, you know, they, they've been around, man. It's, you know, as a leader, you got to listen to the people who, who know the job, who have been doing the job, who at least you can get some information from before making a, you know, making a decision. And I don't know, maybe show a little bit of vulnerability to where, when the guy says, Hey, take, take that, take all that gold off your uniform, man. I know it's really cool. And you're really proud of being a second Lieutenant, but you know, you got to pull those butter bars off your, off your hat or else they're going to shoot you. And the guy's like, Oh yeah, I was going to do that. <laughs> I was just about, I was just about to do that. My, my, my note here is just bad Lieutenant, right? Yeah. I, my, oh, so your notes better than mine. My note is um, right here. I've got uh, Sergeant Casarano's legit next bullet. Lieutenant Cattell sucks. <laughs> no, my um, <laughs> uh, if I I would have made my note better by writing Port Call New Orleans right after it, but you know mm-hmm. that wouldn't have made quite sense in this case. Um, so you you brought it up before, uh, and this probably has come up on on other episodes of of your podcast that I did not realize that Rod Serling, but pretty much everybody in that age group. And it seemed like a lot of people in the entertainment industry did serve during world war two, but he served as a paratrooper in the Philippines. And that's probably something you've talked about before. It was news to me. I didn't, I did not realize that before I did some research for this episode. Yeah. That comes up um, first. Uh, Cause it's still, it's also the Philippines and the purple Testament also written by Rod. So, you know, obviously that was uh well, you've been through that kind of experience and you're a writer. You you have to write about it. If nothing else is like a bit of personal therapy, probably. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. you know, he, he sustained lifelong injuries from being a paratrooper in the Philippines. Uh, oh, wow. You know, he was in a you know, high casualty group, basically. So he was definitely mm-hmm. watching people drop around him a lot. So, yeah, and that, that comes through in several episodes of The Twilight Zone. And I think that's pretty pretty key to the philosophy of the twilight zone that you know this is like people choose their own twilight zone when they do the most horrible things possible yeah yeah that that really is that really is a good point that's one Um, of the reasons one of my questions is do do they deserve it because it's that's kind of key to that line of thinking you know oh yeah yeah not to skip ahead (laughs) <laughs> right, right. I, I I assume most. I mean, there's. I guess there's always a first listener, but I mean, most people probably know that's coming. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, on the lighter side, I thought the makeup. Well, I actually put a question mark on this. That the makeup is better than in You Only Live Twice. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, I, it's better. It's better than You Only Live Twice. I think it's better than Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. Like it's 
prop it's better than Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Like I honestly looked to see if it was a different actor. Same here. <laughs> okay, good. I mean, I thought it was I, I mean, I thought like one, you know, I guess I guess this is an instance where, you know, it's okay to have, you know, an American actor playing playing an Asian character. And all um, the other actors are Asian at least. I mean, I don't know yeah. they're Japanese, but they're at least Asian. <laughs> but it was, I mean, I thought it was particular. I mean, I was really, really looking at the um at the facial features of um uh Lieutenant Cattell when he was uh serving in the in the Japanese military. And I didn't see anything that took me out of it. Did you? No, I, I guess it helps that um Dean Stockwell has kind of beady eyes. Yeah. <laughs> And when he is younger, well, more so. Since you live in Japan, I'll let you get away with saying that. <laughs> well, there's other uh, other ways you could say that, right? Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, although in, in Japan, it's weird where a lot of people will get eye surgery, especially women, because they think it's cuter to have more Western-looking eyes. Oh, no is, way. Yeah. So um, when I first came, I actually haven't seen it so much recently, but you'd, you'd often see young women with like an eye patch on because they just had one of their eyes like plastic surgery. Okay. Eyes, like, I was like, what, is everyone like clumsy and hitting themselves in the face or something? And uh, then I, I learned about that. So um, the other shocking thing was uh, this when I first came to Japan in 2004. And in 2004, everybody was wearing a mask. And I was like, what? what's happening? <laughs> uh, just because it was like uh, just it was like allergy season or something. Right? Oh, was it? Because I, I know at that point, I mean, we were coming out of SARS and um, Th- that's uh, what I thought. That's what I thought. But, it but that out, wasn't it. It was just allergy season and uh, people. Okay didn't want to um you know huff around i mean uh, yeah it's not like everybody at that point but uh yeah so we did see that in japan uh Mm -hmm. prior to to covid um you know my my phone just popped me one of those memory photos and it was my wife um at a nearby kind of like old town thing for for a holiday and it's 2019 she's she was wearing a mask because she had a cold at the time so and I'm saying as someone who absolutely hates to wear a mask, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of felt like it was, you know, civic responsibility and, you know, being a responsible uh, person. But uh, yeah, I mean, the way my glasses fogged up and stuff like that, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to I'm glad to be rid, rid of them. Um, I'm about I'm about dovetail this back in, into the episode, by the way. So uh, oh, I, good. I, I found a way I found a way to do it. So we never had like a mandate in Japan. Even today, I'm going to walk outside and 80% of people are still going to be wearing masks. Um, Abe was still prime minister at the time. And they're like, don't you need to make a mandate? It's like, well, the the social norms of Japan, the social pressure of Japan will just, everybody's going to do it. And they did. So <laughs> even now. So is it, is it, are, are people in agreement in Japan that the masks, that masks help s- slow the spread of of disease of of airborne diseases no they're just worried what their neighbor's gonna think <laughs> oh, okay all right fair <laughs> like enough said, it, it was it was he, uh, he, it sounded absurd when abe said it that but the social yeah. prod p- social pressure will make them conform which is this is where i dovetail that i feel like that's kind of a horrible thing to a certain point like you said what is it because they actually were trying to do you know do health stuff and I'm, I'm sure some people were but um it's not political like in the states but yeah there's some people who are like this is pointless and some people that probably think it's helpful but all of them were wearing them anyway right so i mean it's, yeah. it's only been this week where i've started like maybe not wearing them at work a little bit so uh-huh. <laughs> up to, because uh up to this week that was just a no-go and then i'm not sure it still might be a no-go i don't know but we'll see <laughs> Interesting. I mean, that's that 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 really does that. I find that fascinating. Anyway, um, uh, the, whereas dovetailing is the dovetail <laughs> is they make the decision seem kind of the same in 1945 with the American platoon and in 1942 with the Japanese right. platoon. But because not just the military structure, but because of that social pressure, I feel like it would be more difficult in the Japanese platoon to. Uh, I guess it helps he's the lieutenant, but <laughs> I think you're exactly right. The way, uh, from what I understand, I've, I, I have friends that have, uh, you know, worked in Japan that have worked for um, Asian uh, overall, um, you know, East Asian Airlines, um, Asiana Korean Air, um, JAL, um, ANA. <laughs> yeah. 
and they um they say that there is there is that that very very strict hierarchy even if everybody knows the captain's wrong they can't say anything now it's gotten i think it's gotten better over the years because obviously that's a safety issue but that was sort of the social um pressure that they were fighting uh when they were when they were working on you know safety issues uh and trying to um provide you know western style flight training to uh to asian airlines yeah yeah there have been some nasty air accidents in japan um, i think it's it's always the summer holiday so it's august something where the, it was i think it was like you know, decades ago now but that's still it, it just a plane crashed in, in the mountains in central japan and killed everyone mm-hmm. on board and that's still kind of a, a bugaboo for the japanese I, I don't think people are like particularly like terrified of flying or anything but uh oh no i certainly wouldn't think so um, but you know, you, you mentioned the, uh, so, you know, Casarano was very willing to, he did hold his tongue at one point. He was like, yeah, if you want me to size you up and eh, never mind, I can tell like, no, I want to hear it. Um, and he just kind of went off on him. And I liked that Casarano had that empathy for, um, for the Japanese soldiers that were, that were hiding in that cave. He was like, look, they're beaten, they're wounded, they're tired. They don't even know they've already lost, you know, I mean, he, he, I think he was saying, you know, the war is all but lost at that point, you know, obviously until they, they found out later that the, the atomic bomb was dropped. But at the same time with all that empathy, he still had a lot of, uh, he said things like, uh, bandy legged, bu- called them bandy legged buzzards. things like that, which, which I guess was, uh, um, you know, pushing the limit of, uh, probably, um, I don't know. Racial on TV. Yeah. <laughs> and when he, when he said buzzards at first, I thought he said the other, the other B word that ends in ARDS, uh, that I'm, that I'm not sure if you want, you know, can we say bastards on your show? I think we can. Yeah, Sure. I think you can. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> for, I went back cause I, I actually thought he said bandy legged bastards and I was like, Whoa, Hey, Hey, <laughs> tone it down there. Tone it down there a little bit. But at the same time he was saying it with empathy. Cause he was, you know, his point was they don't even know when they've lost. Right. So they've, they've just, just stop, just stop fighting. You can live, we can live. We can just kind of, kind of get on with our lives. Um, you know, it was really a shame. Uh, in that... this, in this episode, sorry, you, uh, did you finish your thought? I did. Okay. Uh, I was going to say they make it clear. Oh, this, this military's machine is made for, you know, destroying the enemy. Right. Which right. after the war, Japan took on a, you know, pacifist, kind of SDF. It's you know, Japan does is not supposed to attack people, right? Which yeah. is slowly it's it's kind of in flux right now. And uh, there's just two articles. I got the Japan Today on my iPad here. Uh one is just this is probably entertaining for American listeners. Uh Japanese self-defense force moles removing its ban on tattoos. So if you got a tattoo you cannot join the military in Japan. Um, because it's associated with being in the Yakuza, basically. Okay, gotcha. Uh, one of my friends, he comes out to, uh, you know, we go go to hot springs on on our day off sometimes, and he's uh, yeah. he's he's from Colorado. He's but um, you know, he's got like a actually a Yakuza ish like dragon on his shoulder, right? So we always go to the same two places because those are the places that will allow people with tattoos in. A lot of hot springs in Japan will not allow you in if you have a tattoo. So. If if you do want to live in Japan then and you like mm-hmm. hot springs, yeah, it's probably best not to get tattoos. So I can go anywhere. I don't have tattoos. So <laughs> And you said they're you said they're going to relax that rule. They're gonna remove the ban on tattoos. Yeah, but it's still there is my point. It's <laughs> okay. Yeah. You simply couldn't have had one. The other one is uh probably a little more pertinent to, to what we're talking about today. Uh this is today today's headline posted just a few hours ago japan takes issue with time magazine's headline for prime minister kishida's interview so the headline was originally prime minister fumio kishida is turning a once pacifist japan into a military power and tokyo did not like that so it has been slightly rephrased to is giving a once pacifist japan a more assertive role on the global stage and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's spin that basically says the same thing. I mean, where, where, and how does, if at all, does sort of the paperwork that was signed at the end of World War II 
limit. And again, I don't know if at all, you know, what the scope of the Japanese military is. Um, for several years, be. there wasn't one. That's why it's the SDF Self-Defense right. Force. It's yeah. in the Constitution that was ratified 1950, I want to say. Uh-huh. But that's the thing. The, the, there's been a big push in politics for the past 10 years by the uh, LDP. That's the Liberal Democratic Party, but they're pretty conservative. Uh, oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so in the past 10 years, starting basically with Abe, they've been trying to kind of change that. And the LDP has been in charge of Japan since 1950. There was about a four, maybe a four-year period, about 2008 to um, 2012 or so, where a different party was in charge. And that's it. It's like the Republicans have been in charge since 1950, except for 2008 to 2012. Um, yeah. At the same but- time, it is a multi-party system. We've we've got a communist party in, in Japan that a functioning mm-hmm. communist party. Um, you do have to make coalitions. It's it's a parliamentary system, right? Uh, right. But and people complain about the LDP. The LT, LDP. They're too old. Or, you know, they're they can't change. But they just keep voting for them. People will complain and then just go vote for them again. It's weird. Well, that sounds awfully familiar. Yeah, but I guess it's an everything thing like, oh, all my neighbors are going to vote for this, so I guess I will too, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that could be it. Um, yeah, here I hear a lot of my parents voted that way. It's like, dude, that was like 70 years ago. Like, Yeah, it's, it's just weird, so I, I don't yeah. get it. But uh, yeah, Japanese politics is, is pretty bizarre, so... <laughs> <laughs> parliamentary system so a party takes power and they have a prime minister right exactly yeah okay. um uh, I, they don't have the fun like battles that they do in the british parliament you know i don't know if you've ever seen clips of that where it gets yeah. quite animated uh uh-huh. i haven't seen much of that in the japanese in the japanese uh diet it's called the diet here so um really i have I'm had fasc- the pleasure I'm fascinated i have i've had the pleasure of strolling by the the diet building playing a ukulele so <laughs> I don't I don't now nah, I don't think you get away could you walk past the U S Capitol playing a ukulele would someone stop you I don't know well no I mean I think I, I think, think you're okay, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. you know I mean they they're, they're starting to put like bigger and higher barricades around it you know farther and farther away at least from the White House um, but I don't uh, I don't think it's got anything. To, I don't think it's got anything to do with preventing ukulele players from getting yeah, too close. Yeah. I, I just, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I've just like gotten used to living in Japan too much. Um, we we did a podcast a few weeks ago where the the police interrupted our podcast, right? Uh, that that was on on co-host Luke's side, and we we're like, they're like, oh God, are you gonna have to go bail him out of jail? Nah, it's just the new beat officer checking out the neighborhood and introducing himself, yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> doesn't happen in America, so. <laughs> kind of weird um but yeah that that's i guess i'm not even going to call it a flaw with this episode because it's such a cool metaphor and a, such a cool use of you know like identity swapping and a little bit of time travel i mean all that's cool but having been in japan so long i'm like man just the the way of making a decision in both situations there's so much subtext that's so completely different but it's not yeah really- metaphor there's like the first thing i noticed was when when Gattel found himself in the in the um japanese army and, and i'm gonna say it's army i'm not sure i'll say military maybe it was, um, oh, oh yeah because army's fine <laughs> okay because i was thinking it might it might have been you know i mean some some sort of infantry marine you know version of the marine corps or I, I don't know um but japanese military and he had that uh i think it was his sergeant that was very very much Oh, that was brilliant the way you that was very brave the way you ran up there single-handedly to 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 reconnaissance the the American troops. You know, that he was really, really being very, very respectful and very deferential to this guy that obviously was having a crisis <laughs> <laughs> to the point where he's where he's like, maybe just a touch of malaria, but uh, but my god, you're still such a great, great officer. <laughs> Well, I I am thinking, okay, someone kind of just like flips out on you for how long was he actually flipping out um, of screen time? Two minutes? Yeah. He picked yeah. himself up pretty quickly. I like it. Did. I mean, I think anyone and you'd be like, oh, I'd be cooler in that situation. But eh, you probably Man, wouldn't. I would you, not. You know? I would have kept running. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, I would have I run until I heard the machine guns. Then I would have run straight back 
and then I probably would have hid. And then uh, then I probably would have got thrown in Japanese uh, defector jail, um, which is I don't that was probably a really bad place to be in World War Two. Well, they didn't like the POWs very much. (laughs) (laughs) They probably didn't didn't like their own Um, man. You know, I just you know, one of the things that I think and obviously it's it's got to be a human nature thing. There's there's just I think there's a subset of the population and it's not everybody right it's not everybody but there's a subset of the population that just will never be able to put themselves in somebody else's shoes will never be able to understand the complexities of a situation unless it happens to them unless it happens to them they're just never going to get their eyes open to just how hard and how horrible you know a situation is to be in on the other side and, and sometimes Sometimes shows like this really demonstrate how powerful that can be. Yeah, I mean, like you and I, we just cannot conceive of a war this big where like every family is basically involved, right? right. Uh, you know, everyone of age is going off war, and probably some people who are not of age. So, mm-hmm. uh, let me see if I can do a screen share here. A, a few months ago, I was I went up to the family house, very old family house. It, the building's at least a hundred. Uh, I know it's a hundred years old because of what I'm bringing up on the screen now. Um, so I found this old photo album. Are, are you getting an image there? I am. Okay. And uh, by the way, folks, uh, this should be on YouTube. But yeah, what you're say- seeing is uh, a very young person on the on the deck of a battleship. Uh, you see, it looks like military aerobics but that i'm pretty sure that is local aerobics like i don't think that's military it's just like the whole country kind of went into a military mindset for right like 10 plus years right um in that picture of the house you see on the uh on the right that actually is the house i found this album in so oh no way (laughs) yeah so it's kind of interesting because this is why why his family i mean I don't even know if anyone knows who these people are anymore. Well, they probably do, but uh, yeah. Like I found a picture of one guy shoveling snow. My father-in-law was like, "Oh, that was a guy from like Hokkaido that was just like you know doing an internship on our farm like in 1955." Mm-hmm. So, you know, I got a little bit of ID on him, but yeah, yeah, I just found it interesting finding the family album with people going to World War II, coming back, you know, in military uniform at the house, and and this was the. From the American mindset, this is the enemy, right? Yeah. Watch any movie in the forties. I mean, this they're they're you know. Uh, oh, you know, there's lines like they'll just as soon kill you as put a nickel in a slot machine or in a jukebox. Not a slot yeah, machine. yeah, th- yeah, things you know? like that. So it was just like in terms of this episode, it was very interesting to just uh, find a family album that kind of has the same effect as this episode you know it's like yeah. wow we should why don't send those people off to die you know because mm-hmm. from our perspective that's the enemy to shoot at so yeah and it seemed like the, you know i was almost getting a little bit of like a um you know a christmas armistice vibe off of it you know with it being a, a christmas episode and with the you know the outro that that we read um you know Shakespeare uh, from Shakespeare, the merchants of Venice, but applicable to any moment in time, to any group soldiery and to any nation on the face of the earth. Um, you know, that's kind of like a really sort of globally, you know, global Christmassy uh, message uh, that I, that I thought was probably not, you know, it was probably pretty rad in 1961. I mean, we were uh, just coming out of Korea, you know, a decade before, I mean, less than 20 years from world war two. Things are starting to heat up uh, in in Vietnam, so uh, just to sort of think, and the Cold War, obviously. So to think that you know this this quality of mercy should be extended to any nation on the face of the earth, I think was uh, probably a notion that didn't sit well with everybody. Possibly, um, I am looking. Maybe that's the like you said a Christmas afterthought because the previous week was definitely the Christmas episode. I was just looking at my list to see what that was, which is a uh, five characters in search of an exit. If you, I'm not sure if you remember that one, but that that one is like like kind of a that's a 
disturbing Christmas, I guess. Well, uh, I'm going to go back and watch it. I I, I was a, a few behind. Um, I, so, so in other words, I skipped a few in order to watch this one to prepare for this, but I'll go back and catch those. Oh, yeah. Listen to the show when they come out. Yeah, even for the nuts and bolts, um, I have actually not watched the two episodes before this yet. So, okay. <laughs> one, of, one of them I, I've seen a lot. Uh, one of them is Once Upon a Time, which listeners will have already heard me talk about in detail. But uh, I just started watching Buster Keaton films to prep for that one. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's that's he's what an amazing, yeah, you know, iconic actor from and it's, it's uh, kind of. It's a pretty easy rabbit hole to fall into because they're all on YouTube and pretty good quality. Um, yeah. If you need to speed them up a little bit, it's a silent film. And then it looks like what you think silent films look like anyway. So if you, <laughs> you need to save a little time. You could do that. I have I've done a little of both, to be honest. So <laughs> um, I went down the dumbest movie rabbit hole last week because somebody brought up Gilligan's Island. And I, so I was like, you know what? I haven't seen the. Uh... TV movies? You know when they get when they got rescued. Yeah, the the, the yeah, reunion okay. the reunion yeah. trilogy as it's called. <laughs> so uh Rescue from Gilligan's Island was the first one. Uh, I remember watching that live. I was about 10, 12 years old, something like that. And I remember watching that. I do not remember the castaways on Gilligan's Island, which was the next one. I don't want to give any spoilers, but that was actually a backdoor pilot, which no did not get picked spoilers. up. <laughs> and uh, then the next one was the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island. I could not find that movie anywhere. It's not on YouTube. I couldn't find it streaming anywhere. Um, I did not find a DVD or any kind of you know media release for it anywhere. So I failed in my uh, my effort to to complete the Gilligan's Island reunion. Uh, I was about to. Trilogy. I was about to joke. Was it with the Harlem Globetrotters? But I guess I probably subconsciously knew that anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, of course, of course, that happened. Yeah, of course, it did. <laughs> uh, before I throw out my questions, do you have any other big observations you want to bop out on this one? You know, just the one thing that I noticed, and, and I didn't like, usually when we break down an episode of the Orville on Mission Log, the Orville, if it's a partic- if it's a, if it's a title that I feel like has some depth to it, um, I'll dig into it. And the name of the title or the name of the episode was Gently Falling Rain. And the explanation in the episode was when a certain character found out they had a daughter. The meaning of the daughter's name was gently falling rain. I just sort of left it at that and said, Oh, that's a pretty name. And I didn't dig into it. Had I dug into it, I think I would have found this quote about a quality of mercy um, is not strained. And the meaning of strained in Shakespearean time was, you know, metered in short supply um, handed out sparingly. Um, The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth, as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. So beautiful sentiment, but I think that episode obviously was very strongly built around this, this empathetic quality of mercy. Uh, We just chatted about an episode of star Trek, strange new worlds on the mission log discord called a quality of mercy, Yeah, (laughs) uh, which is, which is a season one episode uh, that was fairly controversial. Um, but just that man, that ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, or at least, or at least understand that they've got stuff going on that I can't understand. Um, and just give people a little bit of grace, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, um, as you're going forward, because you don't know what other people are going through, man. You just don't, I guess, you know, we'll we'll hold off on like real spoilers, but having watched this does that change your opinion of the star trek episode with the same name <laughs> kind of like obviously it's a bit of a, i think i mean come on they, they were referencing this as well <laughs> yeah I, I, they really must have been and i can't remember the last time i've seen this episode i know i've seen it before uh i just i just it, i think it was long enough ago that i couldn't connect the dots between the strange new worlds episode and the twilight zone episode. But when you are again, not, not getting too much into spoilers, but, but the situation there was everything was pointing at, let's have a battle. Let's have a good old fashioned, good guy versus bad guy. Whoever kills the most people wins off. And, um, 
there was one person that said, let's not. Let's not do that and see if this will play out a different way. So I think it really, really does have a lot of the same DNA in both stories. Yeah. And I just felt like I, I I know that episode is pretty controversial. There are a few choices that I would not have made in general. Like I kind of like that one pretty well, actually, you know, where it's almost a year since air date and then watching this and being able to tie them together does make me like it a little bit more. I think um, also, I just like to see, you know, shiny, space stuff in color so spaceships are cool <laughs> yeah exactly. remember that remember that one spaceship that was that was that was cool that was that was <laughs> that was a good what 10 minutes on episode picard season three so <laughs> spaceships are cool okay um questions for this uh who in this episode travels through the twilight zone uh lieutenant cattell yeah do you want to put anyone else in there i feel like that's probably that just him <laughs> I feel like it's him. Maybe, maybe the Japanese sergeant who was looking at him like, "Oh, something's really wrong here," but I can't say anything. Uh, but no, I'm just going to go with uh, Lieutenant Cattell, yeah, aka I mean, Dean Stockwell. Yes, I mean the sergeant is basically just like observing a bit of effects from mm-hmm. the Twilight Zone without really going in himself. Although you could yeah. say, you know, if you want to, the war is the Twilight Zone, which actually, you know, um, yeah. That, that was a flying term in World War II that apparently Rod Serling did not know about. He thought he was being witty when he came up with the title, but it turned out uh, pilots would, that that's the, well, geez, you should know this. That's the little time between something. Probably between like dusk and yeah. nighttime. Yeah, where, that, you that know, was it's be... difficult to see the horizon and, and kind of pick out, you know, things visually and stuff like that. I have never heard that term used in aviation before. Uh, probably because it's, <laughs> yeah I, I believe you i think what probably happened is that once you know due to the popularity of the show it's kind of stopped getting used maybe in in that but that uh, but I, I find that fascinating also it's just entertaining that he would have been like paratrooping out of the back of the plane and they would might have been using the term in the front of the plane so yeah. hey maybe he did here and it just it, like, again like i was like about to say gilligan's island meets the Harlem Globetrotters just subconsciously I kind of remembered that I guess <laughs> I, I'm learning so much on this on this episode man this is awesome well my, my job is teacher of course I teach English and you know that already but <laughs> <laughs> teaching an English te- teaching a language you already speak that's right so does the lieutenant deserve his trip through the twilight zone what what's the biggest percent a, a a, a billion skillion gazillion percent yes this the twilight zone yes. teaches him about equality of mercy which yes yeah. Yeah, this is a pretty bonk bonk now, head episode ha- having said that I, th- I think every new lieutenant coming out of coming out of officer training school or rtc or maybe one of the military academies maybe not every there are going to be folks that have good judgment that have a quality of mercy but at the end of the day, they still have a job to do. Now, you probably shouldn't wrap it up to the point that it's so succinct that killing Japs is my job and you'll find I'm pretty efficient at it. Like, I think people that have the training to be put in charge generally have a little bit more big picture uh, awareness than that. But the fact that this cat shows up and he acts the way that he does, he deserved to go into the Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah, he he was definitely coming in too cool for school and uh like in the worst way possible. Amen. Let, let's throw this one onto the tripometer as usual 0 to 5 with 5 being very trippy, 0 not being very trippy. Well, we got time travel. We've got transmorph bodyography. Right. Um sure. We've got pretty much those two things, I would say. Um, distance travel also, right? Like he was no longer in the Philippines during that during that time in the Japanese military, right? They said he was somewhere else. I think that's correct now that you're bringing it up. Although that, that cave looked incredibly the same, but he said uh, the the plot summary says he finds himself in 
Corregidor three years earlier in the war. So it sounds like a different place. Well, they only uh, had one location indoor. Well, set. I mean, most of us. Yeah. Did they have a location shot for the cave? I don't remember. Definitely no, just, 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 just the, uh, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it was, it was shot on studio I read, but uh, yeah. So I think there was some, some changes in time and space, uh, relative changes in time and space, if you will. And uh, I'm stalling because I'm trying to come up with a number between three and four. So I'll come up with 3.3. Okay. Oh, okay. Nice, nice double number there. Yeah. So the things you just mentioned that went through my head, I guess as the guy that does this every week, um, eh, I've seen a lot of time travel. You know, war is not very trippy. I settled on two for the makeup. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> like, I think this is a really good episode, but it is yeah. kind of like in the, the not so trippy. It's not like several weeks ago where we got an even darker um, World War II episode and I gave it a negative five. So because <laughs> <laughs> it's a straight up war. Well, we, we, we're talking about it. No, no, that's that's Holocaust stuff. And uh uh, that that actually that was with John Champion who was saying it's either a zero or a five. And I'm like I played that on the the silence episode, so I was like I'll go negative five. <laughs> nice, <laughs> which I haven't offered to people. I guess well I, I tell people they can just make sound, so your sound could sound like negative five. I guess that's fine. But yeah, the reason I went so high on it is just because of that that ability to immediately pop into another life, which is something that Al becomes very familiar with down the road. Like I was thinking yeah. actually how much of a quantum leap episode this, <laughs> this was um, that all of a sudden he's popping into this other body uh, can speak the language, can relate is having a hard time. Like that was very proto um, quantum leap to me. He needed um, an owl not to flip out in those first two minutes. He did. So that's, that's kind of why the, the trippy meter sort of was towards the, the upper, upper end of the scale. Cause I don't think I've broken four on the trip, trip on meter yet. Oh, looking for that glass ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay. Actually in honor of your 3.3 and, and and for the fact that he needed an owl, but he is owl, I'm going to bump it up to 2.2, get get a matching double number. Nice. (laughs) I guess we'll wrap this one up then so um what you well i i don't know how much you do or do not want to mention about what's up on mission log doorville but um we're we're getting ready to record we're going to cover the uh comics or uh, i call them graphic novels but david goodman called them comic books uh since he wrote them i'll defer to his uh his judgment well the podcast Uh, i was doing just before this um he 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 makes comic books also using the term comic books so yeah oh excellent um so yeah there are there are 12 volumes six stories um several between seasons one and two and several between seasons two and three is where they're placed so Jessica and I are going to break those down. Uh, we're looking at having some more of the production staff on, and we've got uh, we're finalizing doing uh, some crossovers uh, with some other Star Trek and the Orville podcasters, uh, just to, to keep the feet alive and keep some interest. Uh, six members of the Orville cast will be at Star Trek Las Vegas. Oh God, I said it. Excuse me, the fifty-seven year mission. Uh, put on by Creations <laughs> Entertainment in uh, Las Vegas uh, this August, August of 2023. Uh, and we're hoping for big news there. Um, so I'll be there. And if there's any way that uh, uh, I can be involved in interviewing those folks, I would love for that to come to fruition. All right. As for this podcast, it's Time Enough Podcast. That's Time Enough Pod on Twitter. Uh, that's probably the best place to find me if you're looking for me. We do other podcasts at Patreon under the name Podcastio Podcastius. That's where we talk about the 100 best and the 100 worst movies as rated on IMDb, on films and filth. Uh, I talked to the aforementioned comic book guy about Disney movies on the Occult Disney podcast. I don't know if I should call him comic book guy, though. That seems kind of rude. <laughs> What else do we got? Uh, <laughs> uh, there's some video game ones uh, that don't involve me. Uh, Luke loves Pokemon. You can guess what that's about. Hyrule Field Report. 
if you are hardcoring the new Zelda game, you might want to hear some people talking about some Zelda as well. And there's the game game show where gamers are gaming themselves about games. Gamey. I know it's very gamey. So we, we, we have a very gay. It's, it's basically like movies and games, I guess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we do. Uh, I guess we're going to roll out today, maybe travel through some time forward at a normal speed or not. Who knows? We're all time travelers, man. 60 minutes an hour. Last at the end of the line now. I only call the judge shouting. Hey, this ain't no affordable show. You don't need to search for me, as I know from who and where I come. Those perceptions now saw as a falcon, divining what before was vanity. The heat haze of will shimmer over the diary I write in. Strangely sated in this land of thirst. How long eight days actually is. So let those thoughts run, Bedouin. I went and took my chances over the Atlas Range of Dark. Ultimately, with a far-off track. <laughs> 